the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we're looking at the complex issues around people working for Irish-based companies but doing so remotely in their home countries. What are the tax implications for both the employer and the employee? In the second half of the show, I'll be talking about the rental market with Trinity economist Ronan Lyons. He wrote a report this week for daft.ie, which showed that rents fell by 3.3% in Dublin last year, but rose in the rest of the country by more than 5%. Ronan will explain the reasons behind these trends and give us his predictions for rent prices this year and a longer-term outlook for the Irish property market. But we'll start with remote working. Lockdown restrictions introduced in Ireland and other countries in March 2020 resulted in many employees returning to their home countries to see out the pandemic through remote working. This included, of course, many Irish returning here from abroad. At first, tax authorities turned a blind eye to this movement of workers, but the lengthy duration of COVID-19 has thrown up a number of complex tax issues both for employers and their workers. To discuss these issues, I'm joined on the line now by Colin Keena, Legal Affairs Correspondent of the Irish Times, and Daryl Hanbury, a tax partner with Deloitte and head of his global employer services team in Ireland. Among other things, Daryl advises clients on employment tax and executive remuneration. Now, Colm, we'll start with you. You were writing about this issue earlier in the week. Just tell us in the round what's at play here. If you're in Ireland and you pay your tax, it's based on your tax residency here, the source of your income, which is here. But for some people, we could imagine, who went home at the start of the pandemic, perhaps, let's say, to France and said they could work from there, be with their parents or whatever. So now their tax residency might end up being France and uh, their income source would be here. And um, it would create complications for themselves and for their employers. And not just tax uh, complications, the employer could find uh, itself obliged to pay employers social security payments, say if in France that would be an extra an additional amount. And the employee could then end up with employment rights in, uh, let's say in France, which would be quite different to those in Ireland in terms of letting an employee go. So multiple uh, issues arise. And then for multinationals that are anxious to keep their tax residency here in Ireland, they might have a problem in that the, the location of a bunch of their employees in France, for instance, could create the notion that they have a permanent establishment in France and leave an opening for the tax authorities to to attack their position that they're tax resident in Ireland and selling out from Ireland across Europe and the rest of the non-US globe. And then conversely, the same applies for somebody who came home here perhaps to live with their elderly parents or, or whatever, or came home here to look after their elderly parents for on a temporary basis and then couldn't get back to wherever they were employed and that can create tax issues if it's the UK or the US perhaps they would the differential between what you should be paying here what you might be paying there it mightn't be very difficult but in other jurisdictions say if you were I don't know you couldn't get back to Qatar or something like that you could end up with a, a, a tax bill that you hadn't envisaged and overall uh, it might uh, anyway, uh, cause you to have to get yourself a tax accountant who knows about international tax affairs, so it will cost you in that re- in your in your pocket that way as well. 
And then lastly, I suppose, for a small group of people, there are the super rich who, who, as we know, fly in and out of the country but have strong connections here but are not tax resident here and must uh, be very careful how many nights they spend in, in the jurisdiction. And, of course, the travel restrictions on uh, public health travel restrictions apply to them as, as well as everybody else. And, Colin, what about non-EU nationals who are working here on a visa? Are there issues for them if they go home for an extended period? Oh, there are, yeah. Last week, as I understand it, uh, new applications for such work permits here were frozen. So they continue to process applications that were in the system. But there, there, are, there are difficulties there in terms of getting permits to return here or to continue working here. The uh, other issue then, of course, is just, just the physical difficulty in getting here, flights and uh, being cancelled and so on, and quarantine. Sure. And obviously, when this happened initially in March 2020, we can kind of recall it now. We, we thought it might be four weeks, six weeks, something like that, um, that, of that kind of duration. We never envisaged it was going to go on for a year plus, did we? No. And um, so companies said that, well, why don't you go home, you know, uh, and, and be where you're most, most comfortably being if you can work remotely. And that was partly with a, a view to you know, the duty of care to their employees and so on. And the uh, the problem then was that a kind of an emergency measure or decision has these consequences that have gone on from a year. I see PricewaterhouseCoopers, I think, just announcing this week that they're telling the staff they won't have to be back till September at the earliest uh, in the office. So the consequences of that are very complicated because I was talking to a tax partner in EY, Michael Rooney, uh, last week, and he was saying, well, You can imagine an employer, first of all, they have to find out where their staff are. And then they have to find out what are the implications. And like we say, there are multiple implications from the point of view of the employee and from the point of view of the employer, tax, uh, social welfare, you know, what bank holidays do they take, insurance, you know, they're just multiple. So that's a a logistical nightmare. And then after all of that, you, you have to think about, well, now how do we pay tax? And if you were a multinational with people scattered around the globe, you know, that would be a complete nightmare. So obviously these problems that the Irish employees and employers are, are facing into are being replicated all around the world. So the OECD in, in Paris is is having a look at these issues, having a look at how they're, they're impacting on employees, employers, tax and so on. And uh, what Michael was saying to me was his, his desired solution was that, you know, we'll just say and accept for 2020 and 2021 it's this uh, force majeure circumstances and people will just pay their taxes and be treated as if the place where they were normally residing even though they've they've gone home to to be with their parents or they're stuck at home in their apartment somewhere else in the world yeah that sounds like a nice neat solution we'll uh, maybe ask daryl about that uh, in a little while but daryl you're an expert in this kind of area of employment law have many of your clients been coming to you trying to figure out solutions to this issue yeah, I think from from that employment tax and payroll and immigration perspective, it's really a, a topic that is 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 front of mind for for many multinationals, but also a lot of small and medium enterprises, companies who never previously would have had an international workforce, but may have international employees who now, for family reasons or for whatever, decided I'm going to go home and 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 uh, and stay there and work through the COVID crisis um, from that jurisdiction. I think Colin made the point where when this started, I think everyone was thinking, God, it'll be 
12 weeks, 16 weeks, 20 weeks, etc. But by the end of 2020, it'll all be sorted and everyone will be back. So, so a lot of decisions were made in that context where employers said, absolutely, you want to go work from home? We don't mind. We just want to keep you safe. We want to make sure that you're doing the best for your family, etc. The issue then is is that that has now created complications as it's gone into to late 2020 now into early 2021 and probably going all the way through to, to mid-2021. And, and that's where the real complications come up um, and, are, and arise. Um, I think originally uh, Irish revenue, for example, would have given concessions around mobile workers, people coming into the country, how you would operate payroll, etc. And, and, you know, case that in language around for the duration of the COVID crisis. Clearly, back to that timeline again, nobody was thinking, God, this is going to be two years. And and to be fair to, to any revenue authority, including the Irish one, it's really hard to manage that where where you're you're almost suspending the rules for what would be potentially two years. So I think while while it might be a nice um, you know, uh, request that maybe we look and, and tax people where they normally would be, it's not realistic. And, and in fact, for example, the Irish Revenue um, effectively declared their concessionary treatment of mobile workers over um, uh, in late December. So just before we finished up for Christmas, they, 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 they withdrew a number of the payroll concessions. Um, and so with effect from 1 January 2021, we're now in in the normal rules from an Irish perspective when 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 individuals are coming into Ireland. So, Daryl, let's uh, maybe work through some of these implications. So, let's take a multinational company, for example, um, that has a few thousand employees, and let's just say, for argument's sake, five or six hundred of them decamped to their home countries, whether it's in the EU or not. Um, we're now into a new tax year, effectively. Yep. What are the implications for them of those people continuing to work for their home countries? The implications for the company in, in the first instance, but also for the individuals. Yeah, so so it's it's wide ranging, and and there's there's you know very few topics that actually cover almost all areas of tax in in one fell swoop. So so first of all, you're looking at the payroll obligations. You you're an individual. You were working. You were employed by you know company in Ireland. You're now working in France. France, quite rightly, will say you're using our resources, you're using our, our systems, you're, you're living in our country. We think we should maybe have some payroll obligations um, applied there. Nothing that we wouldn't do ourselves. So it's, again, nothing, nothing unusual. But that requires potentially a registration. If you don't have an entity in, Ireland, in, in, in France, you'd have to register, register for payroll, register then potentially for corporate tax um, from an employer perspective because they might create what's known as a permanent establishment there. Depending on the seniority of the individual or individuals, because clearly if you're talking about a country like France, it's, it's probably not one. So if you have 500 people, you, you probably have a number of people sitting in, in, in France. So you need to look at well how senior are those individuals and whether whether that affects um, your your um, your corporate tax obligations in Ireland, but also in 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 that foreign jurisdiction, which which encompasses what's known as transfer pricing and 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 what needs to be left in that jurisdiction to remunerate that effectively that entity for for um for those individuals working in that country. So that potentially dilutes. The benefit of being located in Ireland from a corporate tax point of view are twelve and a half percent headline rate. Yeah, I think it, I think it creates uncertainty, and it's unusual because our system, obviously, from a corporate tax perspective, we'll have one of the lowest corporate tax rates. So, from a from a from a company perspective, any incremental tax revenue or rates or, or payments they're made making abroad 
you know, will will be additional to the twelve and a half percent. One assumes in in the grand scheme it it should be the smaller element of what they're earning in Ireland, but but it does depend on who is abroad, um, how long they're being abroad, what the roles of those individuals and how senior they are, and that's really where you can determine determine the impact. What's interesting on the income tax side is for for most individuals when they're working abroad they potentially are, are doing better because the Irish income tax rates are quite high comparatively. The The interesting piece or bridge that, that covers both, and Colin mentioned it in, in his article, is, is the social security point. So employer social security, just over 11% in Ireland, you know, that could be up to 30% uh, in, in a foreign jurisdiction, um, you know, particularly like France or, or, or any of the, the, the continental European jurisdictions. The, the, the issue is, again, on 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 social security, potentially you're protected because the, the the rules should state you're only paying social security in one jurisdiction. So so you may be able to retain that individual within the Irish social security net while still having an income tax or a corporate tax or a transfer pricing um, implications that you have to deal with. But but it is something to be aware of, and it is back to that point that companies do need to figure out where their employees are because if you're employing thousands of people. You've you've asked you know an individual has asked their manager, can I go and work abroad? The manager's like, I, I, I don't care whether you're in Sandyford or you're in Paris, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, and and do HR, tax, mobility, employment law, all of those functions know where you are? That that that's really a, a, the concern. Sure. Um, the finance director, mind you, might mind if that person is in Paris or Bordeaux or, or wherever, given the potential tax implications. What's your advice to clients in this? Situation. I suppose the simple solution is to demand that everybody comes back to Dublin to do their uh, to do their duties. Yeah, I think I think there's 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 um because it it gets thrown in with the remote working and and the general future of work and how people will work going forward. Will people go back to the office or not go back to the office, etc. And I think that's a it's almost a separate discussion. Many companies have been saying, look you do need to get back into the country of which you're employed. So if you're, you're an employee in Ireland, you need to get back into the country. And, and that's happened. I think a lot, of, a lot of companies would have set deadlines at varying points through 2020. So some would have set them towards the end of the summer. Some would have had October, November. And, and a lot of companies would have said 31 December is that drop down, uh, a drop-dead deadline that they'd have to do. There are plenty who haven't. So there are there are, there are plenty who, you know who, who whose employees are still abroad and 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 they, you know they will have to address that. But but the first issue for all companies, regardless of your size, is to, is to quantify well what is your issue and where are your employees. So so that may seem like an easy thing to do, but as we've discussed, you know the the ease of which people can just work remotely and and you know put on a, a Zoom background. You don't know where they are. Uh, it, it, it makes it quite difficult but important that people that companies do track where their employees are. Daryl, for an Irish person who was working abroad, let's say working in Italy, um, and they came home to Ireland to see out the pandemic and it lasted a lot longer than they thought, and then one reason or another, they're still here. What are the tax implications for them? Are they facing a situation? Are they going to be receiving letters from Irish Revenue inquiring as to their status? And are they going to have to pay a tax bill here? Yeah, so um, quite likely, and obviously it will depend on anyone's individual circumstances. But for example, you know, even when Irish Revenue were gi- were giving concessions to to the operation of payroll in a jurisdiction, so when individuals came to Ireland, you know, maybe that company didn't need to operate Irish payroll. However, Revenue made it clear that the individuals still had that tax liability. So, so you know, if if 
on you know f- retrospective looking at it um, and, and determining their days in the country etc and they realize well you are Irish tax resident now then they will have tax obligations in the country it shouldn't be double tax so in the sense that they either may be able to get a refund of some of their Italian tax for example um, or use that Italian tax as a credit against the Irish tax but it will likely if you're coming into Ireland be an incremental tax um, so that is of, of, of interest to people. Now, some Irish people working in roles abroad for um, big institutions like maybe the Red Cross or the World Health Organization, that type of thing, um, they might have tax-free status in the country where, where they are located and they come back to Ireland. So in effect, they're not paying tax in that country because that's a deal that that organization has with the local, um, you know, with the local authorities in that country. Then they come back to Ireland and revenue, uh, are revenue entitled to tax in that situation? So, I, I, you know, again, without getting into the, the, the specific circumstances, you would need to look at where an individual's residence are, how long they've been here, what their income is, etc. But if they are resident in Ireland, you know, the, the, the standard position is that they're taxed on their worldwide income. There are different rules that may get um, certain portions of that income removed from the Irish income tax net. But, but in principle, yes, there, there, there should be, um, you know, they, they will need to look at their Irish tax obligations. Darrell, do we know how many people decamped from Ireland back to their home countries to work during the pandemic? I don't think it, there's, there's, a, there's a clear number, but I think, I think it is, it, it is a, a reasonable number, you know, who would work in, in that multinational community. But, but to be clear, probably not, you know, a, a, a significant number in the overall employee population, you would assume. But, but I would imagine it affects every employer in the country or almost every employer in the country. Um, and, and within that, you know, each of those employers do need to, to consider whether and how they, how they deal with that situation, depending on, on, on the number of people they have abroad. Colm, are there implications long term in terms of foreign direct investment in Ireland if companies are having to grapple with these kind of issues? Well, you'd wonder, I mean, it seems to me, just as a as a reporter, it seems to me the sub-tax jurisdictions are very unhappy with the model that Ireland runs and uh, with some of the US tech companies and uh, maybe there's a, there's a kind of an opening here for them. I just crossed my mind when I was working on this story. Years ago, I was in the offices in Dublin of one of the tech companies that sells advertising. And when you went around the open floor office block, there were flags up. And so you'd have a whole smattering of Portuguese people selling Portuguese ads uh, in Portuguese to Portuguese clients. And then you went around the room and funnily enough, around the back of the room, there were people who ran all the, 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 the computer end of things and they were all from Russia. <laughs> Young lads who studied in Moscow, studied maths in Moscow University. But anyway, I was just thinking, well, then, it, you know, if a lot of people from different countries went home from Dublin to their home countries and then they were selling, you know, you go back to Portugal and you're selling Portuguese is ads in Portugal to Portuguese clients. Um, I presume, Daryl would know better than me, but I presume that would make the, the person in charge of tax for your multinational nervous in terms of creating a permanent establishment. Yeah, I think I think that permanent establishment piece is there because there's a number of you know the one or two other considerations that you'd have a concern about if you were doing, for example, research and development activities in Ireland. And those individuals, you know, can, can perform that in, in an EEA jurisdiction and, and you still get the R&D tax credit. But if they've gone home to, to India or the US or anywhere outside the, uh, outside the uh, EEA, 
there is no R and D tax credit, so there's there's broader implications for the for the company in that perspective. Um, you know, there's potential VAT implications if they create a permanent establishment or a fixed place of business in that jurisdiction. Um, you know, there's and then you look from a company perspective, you look at the broader the broader reward piece. Um, and and how an individual should be should be paid in that jurisdiction is the cost of living in the south of France lower than Dublin? You know it likely is. So so should you be remunerating an individual on a different basis? That's also you know a, a, an interesting topic that 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 probably has to be addressed in this scenario. Daryl, the the French might finally have found a way to undermine our corporate tax regime. Has that crossed your mind? No, I don't think they're they're finding a way to undermine it. I think I think it, it is certainly an interesting challenge that has to be addressed. Um, I think I think you know it's not that we can't have individuals work in in, in foreign jurisdictions. There are just implications that have to be addressed as as we do that. Uh, you know, as I said, I think. Clearly, the vast majority of of employees in those in the multinationals in Ireland remained in the country, um, but but it's just dealing with those that 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 have moved abroad. I think is 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 of of, of concern. And what about the idea of the OECD potentially looking at this issue and, and providing a framework around it? We seem to kick all of these issues out to the OECD, and they take a long time to resolve, which might suit a lot of people. But you know, what about that proposal? Is it something that the OECD would be happy to do? I wonder. Yeah, so the OECD did issue guidance um, a couple of weeks ago in terms of you know how you interpret treaties um, under the OECD model. So all international tax treaties, you know, most of them will fall in under the OECD model, and and w- within that they gave guidance on on the corporate tax residency position and and the, the the personal tax residency position, and and they were trying to get to a consensus place that look particularly from a corporate tax. Someone working from remotely during COVID shouldn't create a PE, and you know, from an income tax perspective, look, they're 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 tiebreaker. What's known, you know, in terms of of if you're resident in in two jurisdictions, which which country has has primary rights, probably won't have moved. But I think you know, while you may get there on the corporate side, because I think that's a broader interpretation. I think on the personal side, like a lot of people, for example, one of those tiebreakers would be, do you still have a place of residence um, or a place to live in the jurisdiction you were just in? A lot of people give up their rents in, in Dublin. They let their apartments go. They no longer retain that. So their only place of residence is now in that foreign jurisdiction for, for a period of time. You know, that that's going to be tricky. And, and I don't think... Uh, foreign tax jurisdictions or any tax jurisdiction, the Irish tax jurisdiction uh, authorities and uh, the Irish revenue authorities w- would be no different. They will be looking for funds, will be looking for money um, as we come out of the COVID crisis and, and we need to raise funds for, for, for rebuilding our, our economy. Uh, and, and this is one of the areas where, where they can potentially look. Yeah. Column, it's a complex issue and it sounds like we're not going to get a solution to this easily or in the short term. Yeah, yeah. it seems to me, again, Daryl has better, better knowledge of these things, but whatever the Irish revenue end up, end up doing will have to be in some way uh, uh, mirror what everybody else is doing because otherwise it would be a logistical nightmare. So, I mean, I think the OECD or somebody like that is going to have to suggest a template that everybody can adopt because otherwise... You couldn't fix it, I don't think. Yeah, I think I think the the, the real concern columns and and they could they can suggest a way, but I think political realities will will come come into play. Like I'm not clear we're going to get any additional guidance in Ireland, for example. You know, 
the revenue have made their position clear. They've withdrawn the concessions on, on as a result of COVID. They moved some of them retrospectively back to May and June of last year on, on the force majeure point, um, which was disappointing at the time. But the guidance is clear for 2021 and, and how we go forward. And, and I, I wouldn't be expecting updated guidance um, you know, to, to change unless we really were shutting down the country and the international borders. All right, well, we'll see how this plays out as the months roll by and hopefully uh, the economies of the various countries will return to normal and uh, people will be able to go back to their uh, normal place of work and residence. Daryl Hanbury and Colm Keener, thank you for joining Inside Business. Thanks, Karen. Okay, we're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be talking to Trinity economist Ronan Lyons about the price of rents in Dublin and elsewhere last year. At Davy, we know your well-being should be financial as well as personal. And now when it's a little more challenging... If you're in a position where you have a pension, it's never been more important to get active. So talk to one of our trusted advisors now and we can help you find a solution for your pension needs. A solution that could help you feel better about your financial future. Let's start the conversation. Call us today or search Davy. Davy, it's not just business, it's personal. Janey Davy, trading as Davy, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. Now, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Ronan Lyons, economist at Trinity College Dublin and author of the Daft.ie report. Uh, Ronan, welcome to Inside Business. Now, some very interesting findings in the Daft report about the state of the rental market in Ireland last year. Rents in Dublin down 3.3%, but they went up outside Dublin by 5.4% which is probably counter to a trend that had been in place for a number of years where rents were going up in Dublin and probably not doing an awful lot around the rest of the country. So just explain, explain to us what was going on last year. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, there's, there's two main markets now really in, in the rental market in Ireland. In, in Dublin, uh, there, there's significant increase in availability over the, the last 12 months or so. Now, it's in an increase from a very low level. So uh, the last five years, 2015 to 2019, were extraordinary in terms of the lack of uh, rental homes available at any particular point in time. So in that sense, when you get these unusually tight periods in the market, rents get uh, pushed up to what you could think of as almost like an artificial spike in, in rents. And that eased a bit um, during the course of 2020. And perhaps the trigger was the short-term lets moving over into the long-term rental market. There was there was additional supply, so people started to move around a little bit. But that momentum can sustain itself. So once an initial batch moves, then you get a second batch moving and so on. And uh, what we saw in, in Dublin was a significant increase in listing volume. So about 40% more listings um, uh, and all of those came off. So there's no shortage of demand out there. It's just demand at a lower price point. Uh, in the rest of the country, COVID had a, an effect more like the sales market. So if you think about the sales market, when you've got COVID, uh, sorry, not when one has COVID, when, when COVID is affecting the market, um, you, you, this, it seizes up. You can't really go and view properties if you're in lockdown. Um, and, and the sales market suffered hugely from that over the course of 2020, uh, with, with prices being pushed up because there was a, a, a lot of buyers, but not a lot of properties there to view. And that's kind of what happened in the rental market outside Dublin um, over the course of, of 2020. There was a, a fall in listings uh, a fall in the number of rental homes coming on the market. Uh, and as a result, rents got pushed up even further. I, I, I probably just want to put in one last kind of 
uh, subtlety, I said there were kind of two markets, the Dublin and the rest of the country. There's probably more like three. Dublin is at, at one end of the spectrum with more supply and rents coming down. Um, rural parts of the country are the other end of the spectrum with a lot less supply and rents getting pushed further up. And somewhere in the middle, you have the other cities. So uh, Cork, Galway, Limerick and Waterford, they actually did see extra uh, supply. So they're not like the rural parts of the country, but rents went up. So they're not like Dublin. Um, so that might tell us actually that you've got intercity migration happening, people choosing to be in uh, Cork or Galway because it's significantly cheaper um, than, than Dublin, at least for the moment. Um, yeah, sure. Mind you, um, the average rent in Dublin is still quite saucy, isn't it? It's over 1,900 euro. That's right. I mean, the, the worst conclusion you could take from this report would be, uh, oh, that's it, problem solved. All it took was a pandemic and the rental woes are, 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 are gone. Uh, as, as you mentioned, rents in Dublin are about twice what they were a decade ago. Um, and yes, they fell 3% because supply went from an extraordinarily low level to a slightly less worse level. Um, but that's still not the same as fixing the, the rental market. There's no need for Dublin rents to be among the most expensive in the world. Um, we should be getting additional rental supply um, uh, built and out into the market. And that will help not just in Dublin, but in the other cities as well and around the country in, in meeting the demand that's there. Ronan, I wonder, have you figured out what the long-term implications of the remote working uh, is going to have on the rental market? Because we know from various um, surveys and studies that have been done, most workers, they kind of like this working from home scenario, or at least uh, would like to have some blended working. So it might be two or three days in the office and it might be two or three days at home, which is probably a good balance to have. But if your place of work is in Dublin, you can't really be in Galway or Mayo or Sligo or somewhere, somewhere like that. Uh, renting, living and, you know, commuting to Dublin on a daily basis, that just wouldn't make sense. So how are we going to figure this out? How is it going to play out once everybody's been vaccinated and offices reopen and employers expect people to get back to the office, essentially? So, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a commercial property guy, but there's a whole other interesting conversation to be had about what's going to happen in, in the office sector um, with with firms down to maybe 50% of the need that they had in 2019. If people are in half the time, and that should lead to much more competitive rents. And that's good for the city. It mightn't be good for the, the, the owners of commercial property, but it's definitely good for the cities if, if, if commercial rents are cheaper. But on the, on the residential side, uh, we really don't know yet where we're going to land. As, as you said, it's unlikely we're going to go back to either extreme, that everyone works from home all the time or everyone works in the office all the time. And once you have that mix, um, the need for high quality rental accommodation is there and being close to the office. Um, so you can't really force young professionals to be working as many are at the moment um, uh, kind of uh, in their bedroom in a three bed that they share with a few other young professionals um, or maybe if they're lucky to get the coffee table for the meeting. You know, that's, that's not the way that people are going to be happy working from home um, uh, and they are going to want to be close to work. Now, you may end up with a situation where certain types of firms can, uh, can offer deals that allow people to, um, to do the kind of uh, city migration. So you could have someone living in Galway and going up to Dublin for kind of and overnight, once every two or three weeks, that might be possible. Um, and that would uh, that would be kind of consistent with what we're seeing at the moment, where uh, Galway and Cork rents are up and, and Dublin rents are, are, are down. But it's a little too early to say how exactly that's going to pan out. And it does put 
more pressure on the quality of the rental stock. And with the best will in the world, if you look at the stock that we went into 2020 with, um, a lot of it's old and a lot of it is not built for rental. So the the pipeline of build to rent, the 30 to 40,000 uh, rental homes that are due to be built, to be honest, mostly in Dublin and some in Cork, we can't get them soon enough as a country. There was a need anyway, and, and COVID has probably just doubled down on that. And you mentioned it earlier, there was a trend of landlords who were on short-term lettings like Airbnb or other such platforms. They've come back into the long-term rental market because there was no, there were no tourists around. Um, there was very little demand on Airbnb. Are they going to stick with it, do you think, in the long term? Or are they going to go back to Airbnb and such like once the tourists start emerging again? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing is... It's it's a relatively small like if we just take Dublin, Dublin is is about half a million households, um, uh, and you know something like between one hundred and fifty and two hundred thousand of those are are renters, um, and in in that market you had maybe fifteen hundred or two thousand um, uh, Airbnbs. It's not to be sniffed at. Um, it, it, Dublin probably is missing something like sixty or seventy thousand rental units. So getting maybe even two thousand um, relatively quickly is definitely welcome. But it's not the solution to the problem. The um, the other point, the, the question you asked around, we 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 got them from the short term into the long term rental market. Will they go back? I, I think it's a lot more difficult to go the other way. And if you've got short term lettings, they're kind of it's a week by week thing, month by month thing. Um, and if something comes along to completely destroy the, the, the tourist sector, at least temporarily, then you can switch into long term rental or you can think about switching in and then make the switch. But once you go in uh, and I know people talk about this a lot, but once you're in a tenancy in Ireland and you're paying your rent and you get past six months, you have a six year tenancy. Um, there's only certain criteria under which you can be um, removed by your landlord um, and Wanting to go back into the short-term lettings market is not one of those. And indeed, after the change in regulations in 2019, the uh, landlords that do want to go back into the short-term lettings market will need to get planning permission to do so. So I suspect the, that the units that have, have, have moved over, the homes that have moved over um, over the course of 2020, are there more or less to, to stay. Um, the, the, the problem is that that's not enough. So do we still have a rental crisis? You mentioned uh, a few minutes ago uh, that I think the, the word you used was saucy for um, for Dublin rents. Um, uh, Dublin is one of the most expensive cities in Europe in which to rent a two-bedroom apartment. Um, so yes, we, we do have a problem in particular in Dublin. But it, taking a step back, this is a country that is used to building three and four bed family homes, but has now more family homes in it than it will ever have families. There's no reasonable population projection out to 2050 or 2080 or 2100 that will have more families um, than there are family homes right now in this country. However, we still have a huge housing need. So it's about thinking about housing, not just as houses, but all the other forms of housing that a modern society needs. In other words, making our housing stock match the diverse ways in which we live as people um, a bit better rather than lumping everyone into a three bed or four bed if there are, doesn't matter if they're students or young professionals or uh, old widows whatever it is everyone has to live in one of these that's not the way to do housing so o- over the course of the next two three decades we need to, as a society to get much better at building um, pre-family no family and post-family housing um, and you know it's unfortunate you know Co-living is probably not the the hill to die on, but it's unfortunate that that has been effectively regulated out. We will have something like one million single-person households um, uh, in the country uh, in the 2040s. 
is it really that bizarre to uh, imagine an Ireland where 5,000 of them are in co-living when we have uh, pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID thousands of people every month taking up employment for the first time in Ireland, whether they're moving out from mum and dad, whether they're moving uh, up from the country to one of the cities or whether they're moving to Ireland. We've lots of people who are just getting into uh, employment and uh, we've students as well and, and purpose-built student accommodation. But I don't want to get overly focused on pre-family. Perhaps the biggest need in, in terms of housing is post-family or old, if you might not have had a family, can, older cohorts. And the idea that we can just kind of trap them in, in four-bed um, family homes and then, of course, a, a healthcare incident happens and they end up having to stay in, in hospitals or step down for longer. Whereas in other European countries, you've moved out of the family home once the family kind of fled the nest um, uh, and you're in a downsizer apartment or you're in independent living or assisted living. And there are segments of housing that we just don't have at the moment. And, and that's really where I'd love to see leadership from the government in terms of integrating across healthcare and housing um, and indeed pension provision to think about how we meet the housing needs of Ireland's older people, because that's where the bulk of population growth is going to be over the next 30 years, 70, 80 and 90 something year olds. Do we have any sense of uh, the impact of Googlers or Facebookers returning home during the pandemic to Spain or Italy or France or wherever it might be? Uh, have they given up their leases here? Has that had an impact on, on the market? Because obviously we're talking about thousands of people. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one to measure. And certainly that's, that's um, uh, uh, help, helped in terms of easing the pressure. As I mentioned, 2015 to 2019 was a period of extraordinary shortage of availability and that eased quite a bit, but it only eased a little bit. So what it tells us is that um, much and all people of a certain political persuasion might want to blame foreigners coming over here, taking up all the, the, the housing. Uh, let's give them, let's say they've all gone, they've all gone home and they will come back at some point. They all went home and rents fell by 3%. You know, it, it, it's certainly not the the, the the reason that rents are high in this country. The reason rents are high in this country is because we don't have enough housing. Um, uh, now, there is an, a more interesting question, perhaps, or kind of a deeper question around how those kind of born online firms uh, change in response to what's happened over the last year. And already there's a couple of much smaller firms that have uh, enabled kind of time zone working. Um, so presumably you're like a contractor with the firm rather than an employee. Once you go to employee, you've got, you've got tax uh, responsibilities. And that's the key thing at the moment is that um, if you talk about Facebook or Google or other large firms based in Ireland, and many of the workers are not in Ireland at the moment, um, uh, and perhaps the you know, revenue commissioners might give everyone a pass for 2020 because it was a really weird year. But if you work for Facebook Ireland or Google Ireland or any of those large online firms, uh, you are required to be tax resident in, in Ireland. That means you have to spend whatever, 184 days or more a year here. So they may not be tied to Dublin because lots of big firms have uh, enabled kind of, you'll never need to come back into the office again, apart from kind of once a year kind of stuff. Um, but they will need to be in Ireland somewhere. Uh, and that opens up lots of questions uh, about the you know connectivity, train services, the, the kinds of things we were talking about earlier. About if if you only have to go to work five times a year, maybe you can be wherever you want to be. Now, <laughs> uh, people still want to be around other people. Um, so maybe the cities, the other cities that benefit at Dublin's expense, rather than uh, maybe Ackle and the Blaskets and benefiting at the city's expense. Um, so what's the outlook for rents for this year, Ronan, in your opinion? 
<laughs> you've 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 given me the the the, the time bomb there. Uh, how am I going to answer that one? We, I mean, obviously, we don't know yet how things are going to pan out between the effectively a battle between the the new variants of COVID and the vaccines. Uh, certainly, and there are figures out today that suggest the kind of the the R the, this reproductive number uh, is much lower than even the optimistic projections for Ireland three months three weeks ago or four weeks ago um so we've we've definitely crushed it in terms of of getting the case numbers back down again um if that remains and if the vaccines do have the impact they're supposed to have um we could be talking about kind of a return to offices in the middle of the year certainly kind of middle and into the third and fourth quarters of the year um that would suggest um, that we'll also have students back in lecture halls. And that's a big component of, of rental demand as well. Um, so uh, I wouldn't at all be surprised if we were having this conversation in, well, six months might be tough, but nine or 12 months talking about how urban rents are back up in Dublin or continuing to rise in, in Cork and Galway. Now, you, there's another version of 2021 you can write where uh, I think it's the South African variant that's supposed to be significantly not just more contagious, but actually uh, more dangerous when you when you get it. Um, the vaccines may not be able to work against that and so on. If if that's the case and we're you know in, in six or nine months time, we're still talking about doing lectures online and people are working from home. And then I wouldn't be surprised to continue to see this um, spike in rents in rural areas where the markets aren't thick enough uh, and viewings matter. And if the viewings can't happen, um, the supply doesn't come on. Um, and in, in Dublin in particular, the opposite, that this liquidity that's been there with a lack of uh, new workers coming into the city means that rents fall another few percent. And finally, Ronan, just look out, let's say, three years. Do you think we might just have gone back to normal when, you know, hopefully the population will be vaccinated, hopefully the uh, COVID will be behind us as a, you know, as a real public health uh, threat. Do you think companies will be expecting people to go into work and this idea of this lovely notion of blended working and remote working and, and all of that will just simply have uh, passed into, into history um, and students will be back in lecture halls so they'll have to uh, rent close to Trinity or UCD or wherever they're going to college um, and we'll just be back to where we were pre-pandemic. So I don't think we're going to go back to exactly the way things were. Even in, in, in my own day job in, in, in Trinity, I can see things are changing in a way that shouldn't change back. There's elements of, of what I've learned in, in what I do, in how I teach, that I want to keep. Um, that said, we are humans, we're social creatures, face-to-face -face matters. Um, there's so much you get from being in a room with someone that you can't get, no matter how good the video conferencing um, technology. Uh, so... People will want flexibility. People will want to be able to to work from home a little bit, and that's, that's potentially got you know really positive consequences in terms of labour force participation. There might be less of an obsession with like uh, they're only being full time or part time. It may be the case that there's more flexibility in in how many days a year, how many days a week you 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 work. Um, but location will still matter, and and as long as people need to be in the office with reasonable frequency, um, as well as the other benefits of being around other people, um, I, I I can't really see uh, location being upended completely. And the kind of maybe the Irish politicians' uh, dream scenario in that people will happily spread out into all the marginal constituencies um, and vote for them. I, I just don't see that happening. We're we're urbanizing and we'll continue to urbanize, and that bit I think will be there. But that that pressure to come together is going to increase over the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. Um, uh, but I don't think it's going to be 
Uh, do you remember when we all had to work from home for a while and then we all had to go back into the office? I don't think we're all going to have to go back into the office full time um, once, once we get out the other side of this. Okay, Ronald Lyons, economist at Trinity College Dublin and author of the DAF.ie report. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Kieran. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Colin Keenan, Daryl Hanbury and Ronan Lyons. Thanks also to our sponsor, Davy Group, for its continued support. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next week, take care and stay safe.